Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be able to study your word and to come here and discuss it freely, Lord. I just ask that you help us today as we go over this chapter to be encouraged to press on to live a life that is pleasing to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that you all have heard the following prayer before, but I thought it was an appropriate opening. Dear God, so far today I have done all right. I haven't gossiped or lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, or self-centered. I'm really happy about that so far. But in a few minutes, I'm going to be getting out of bed. (laughs) And then I'm going to need all the help that I can get. Thank you. Amen. (laughs) I can totally relate to this, as I can tell by the laughs that many of you can. And I think this is why I love this chapter so much. Have you ever felt worthless? Felt like there was no way God could ever use you because of your sinful past? Thought to yourself that it isn't worth the effort because you are such a wretched sinner that God could not possibly use you for his glory. Or maybe God has called you to do something and you see it as an impossible task. There's a huge flood of impossibilities before you that you just don't see how to overcome these obstacles and be successful. Or maybe just watching the events of our day unfold, the outcome of the election, the fact that COVID is still around, the continual sinful actions of people being on display and even upheld and portrayed as good has made you discouraged and you feel defeated. Or it could be that you're in a rut, doing the same thing day in and day out for months and maybe even years, and you see no benefit to what's going on on earth, and you wonder how long will the Lord wait to return and take us home? Well, today we have a story that I pray will change all of that and encourage each of us to press on. In Joshua chapter 2, we have the story of Rahab, a prostitute from Canaan who God chose in his infinite mercy to use mightily for his purposes. In this chapter, we're given a perfect picture of God's providence, his wise and purposeful sovereignty, orchestrating the events and the lives of his chosen people to accomplish his purposes for a nation, as well as his intimate purposes of saving grace to an individual. As we look at this chapter, we will see God's providence, his grace, and his faithfulness on display. It's my prayer as we go through this that we will be encouraged by this glimpse of the events that God brought about in this chapter. On the surface, this story seems very straightforward. Spies are sent out, they take refuge and are kept safe by a harlot, they make a promise to her and keep her, to keep her safe when the Israelites attack, and they escape to make it back to Joshua and give the report of the land. But there's more to the story. So to borrow the words of Paul Harvey, let's look at the rest of the story. In the opening verses, we see Joshua, the new leader of the Israelites, secretly sending spies to scope out the land, especially Jericho. This practice was pretty standard for men preparing for battle. If you remember, Joshua was one of the 12 spies that was sent by Moses in Numbers, chapters 13. He spied on these people 40 years ago. Now, he was preparing to enter the land that God had promised them, 
and as was his practice, he sent spies ahead to gather information. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. I think it's interesting that he sent them separately or secretly to check things out. One commentary I read suggested that this may have been to keep the Israelites from hearing a negative report about the people. You may remember from Numbers when Joshua came back from spying on Canaan that he and Caleb were the only ones who knew that God had given them the land. Despite having seen the same thing, 10 of the spies had given a negative report which negatively impacted the reaction of all of the people. It could have been that Joshua was attempting to keep this from occurring again. So he secretly sent them knowing that whether the report was positive or negative, he was going to move forward with God's instructions. So these spies were sent off to gain a report of the land, especially the land of Jericho. They entered the land, and we are told they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they lodged there. In later verses, we learn that Rahab's house was located within the city wall and was very close to the city gates. It was no mistake that these men came to this exact location at this exact time. There's no evidence to suggest that their motive was sinful upon entering this prostitute's house. Instead, what we see is God and his providence bringing these men exactly where they needed to be to not only carry out the mission set before them by Joshua, but also to show his mercy and grace to a very unlikely sinner in the city. In verses 2 through 7, we read, And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered the house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So why were the spies seen? Why didn't God allow them to get in and get out of the land without being noticed? Well, if they had been able to do that, we would be left without this wonderful piece of God's grace on display. The king heard the spies were there, and he sent men to go find them. Rahab quickly and bravely hid the spies and lied to the king's men in order to have them leave in pursuit of them without searching her house. Right here we see how God providentially orchestrated the safety of these men. Rahab was able to hide them on her roof with the stalks of flax. During harvest time, it was a normal practice to have the flax stalks drying in the sun on the roof. God brought these men to this place during this time of year where there were stalks of flax that they could easily hide behind. Apparently, these stalks of flax, they reached heights of three feet, and they could be stacked up very high on the roof, and it was easy for them to hide behind. So we see God's perfect timing for these events that needed to occur in order for these spies to remain hidden and for what we will see unfold as the chapter goes on. They also came to the one person in Canaan 
who was willing to do what it took to keep them safe from the king. Rahab risked her life to save these men. But why? Why would a Canaanite prostitute do this for the Israelites? Let's keep reading. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. And here we have the reason why Rahab, a woman from Canaan, who made a living selling her body, would risk her life for the lives of these spies. You see, Rahab, in her confession to and her actions toward these men, has shown her heart. She knows the one true God. She acknowledges him as Yahweh, which was the proper name for the God of Israel. This is a great confession coming from a Canaanite who would have been steeped in idolatry. Yahweh was the word she used. In his book, Be Strong, Warren Wearsby said, Rahab showed more faith in the Lord than the ten spies had exhibited 40 years before when she said, I know the Lord has given you the land. She knew what God was doing. And Rahab is expressing her faith in the one true God, the God of Israel. She knows that Yahweh has given them the land. And she tells the spies that her people have heard of their God and that they are afraid. She then gives an account of what they have heard that Yahweh has done for them. They have heard of the Exodus and how God dried up the water of the Red Sea. And this would be very relevant for the people of Canaan to know because the Jordan River would need to be crossed by the Israelites to get to Canaan. And sometimes the Jordan, it often flooded during certain times of years and it was very dangerous to cross. They also knew of the Israelites' defeat of the two kings of the Amorites. News of these events had traveled throughout the land and the Canaanites had heard it and as a result of this news, they were scared, and might I add, rightly so. They should have feared. Rahab confessed the fear that the Canaanites had of God. This was the exact fear that was foretold after the Israelites crossed the Red Sea in Exodus, when the Israelites declared, Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. This is the same fear that the Lord had promised to his people before they destroyed the kings of Sihon and Og in Deuteronomy chapter 2, when he said, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. Faithful to his promise, 
God allowed the report of what he had done for his people to spread. And Rahab confirms that all of Canaan was trembling with fear over the God of the Israelites. Rahab trembled with fear too, but her reaction to this fear was different than anyone in the land. We see that the king was afraid, but his reaction was to take matters into his own hands by sending men to get the spies and attempting to do what he could to keep them from attacking. Rahab, on the other hand, had a reverent fear that resulted in a true understanding and a saving faith in God. Instead of handing the spies over to the king's men, Rahab acts out her faith by keeping the spies safe. We have the account from James in the New Testament when he uses her as an example of faith in action. When he says in chapter 2, verse 25, and in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So Rahab had already proven that her faith was genuine by her previous actions. But here, she is verbally testifying to the spies that she believed in their God, in Yahweh, the one true God. We also know that her faith is genuine because she's named in the great hall of faith chapter in Hebrews. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab has a genuine faith, and she's verbally expressing that faith right here. Before we move on in the chapter, let's talk about her lie. Many people have questioned the lie that Rahab told in order to keep the spies safe. If Rahab really believed in God, why did she lie? Does this account in the Bible justify lying when there is no other way out? In other words, is lying okay under certain circumstances? Well, we need, need to always evaluate Scripture by thinking on everything we know to be true from all of Scripture. We know from many verses throughout God's Word that lying is sin. Numerous verses throughout Proverbs show us this, but my personal favorite is lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And that's in Proverbs 12, 22. We also have New Testament scriptures that discuss once someone is saved, they are to put off their old self, and lying is a part of that. In Colossians 3, 9, we read, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Since we know that lying is wrong based on scripture, why is Rahab commended in the New Testament for what she did here in the chapter, chapter 2 of Joshua? Well, the lie is not what she's recognized for in the New Testament. In Hebrew, she's upheld for her faith. And in James, her faith is proven through her receiving of the spies and sending them out another way. We know that all lying is sin. It is also likely that Rahab was not versed in the law and would not have known that God said, thou shalt not bear false witness. Just like you and I, when we're first saved, we don't immediately know everything that we do is sinful. Rahab was just doing what she had always done. It was her nature as a sinful creature. While she knew that the God of Israel was, what the God of Israel was capable of, she still did not have a whole view of God. I think that we what we should gain from this lie being written down in this account for us is that God meets people where they're at in his perfect timing 
and he brings them to his, himself, and through his grace, he saves them and uses them for his glory. We don't immediately stop sinning in every area at the moment of our salvation. When I was first saved, I had a whole life of being deceitful that I didn't even realize. The Lord, over time, opened my eyes to my sin and showed me later how wrong I had been. Even the seemingly little, innocent little white lie is sinful in God's eyes. I remember telling my mom when the phone would ring, if it's for me and it's so-and-so, tell them I'm not here. (laughs) All because I didn't want to talk to them. I had been saved many years before I was convicted that that was wrong. And my eyes were opened to how simple it was for me to lie at certain times, just to make it easier for myself. These lies that were embedded in my sinful nature were wrong, because all sin is wrong. But I wasn't convicted of how sinful it was until much later in my Christian walk. It took years of eye-opening moments for the Lord to show me how easy it was for a lie just to rattle off my tongue without ever a thought. So Rahab's lie is not a justification for us to lie under certain circumstances. That would be contrary to scripture. We know her lie was not necessary to accomplish God's purposes. He could have kept the spy safe without her lie. But at the time this occurred, Rahab did not have that understanding of God. And so she sinned by lying. But her faith was proven by her actions to receive the spies and keep them safe from the king by sending them out a different way. The Bible never praises her for her lie. She had faith in the one true God, and she verbally acknowledged this faith through her acknowledgement of him as Yahweh, while she also acted on that faith by risking her own life to keep them safe. The next verses in chapter 2 of Joshua show us the agreement that Rahab made with these spies. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. This word that Rahab uses for kindly is very interesting. The word translated here as kindly is hesed, and it means loyal, steadfast, faithful love, based on a promise, agreement, or covenant. Rahab was asking the spies to make this agreement with her and show her the same loyal, faithful love that she had shown them. She had spared their lives and therefore allowed their generations to continue, and she was asking for the same kindness to be shown to her to spare her family and their generations. The spies responded in agreement, and the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. In the next verses, we're given the layout of the plan for this mutual agreement to be successful. Rahab instructs the spies where to go and how long to stay hidden, and the spies tell her what she needs to do in order to remain safe. 
Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So the plan is set. The spies know where to go and for how long and Rahab knows what to do on her end in order to be safe when the Israelites return to take the land. Not only was Rahab to hang the cord out of her window, which she did immediately, but in order for this covenant between them to be kept, she also needed to gather her family, and they needed to keep quiet, and they needed to not leave. So after the parameters of their agreement were in place, we read, they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also the inhabitants of the land melt away because of this. The plan thus far has worked. The spies are safe, and they return to Joshua with the report of the land. The spies didn't get to see the land as they had expected. Instead, they came across a woman who told them all about the people and gave them enough information to reaffirm what Joshua knew to be true. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Then they repeat what Rahab had told them, that all the inhabitants melt away because of them. This report must have been an encouragement to Joshua, who himself had received a poor reaction after he returned with, similar, with a similar report from his spying 40 years earlier. You remember when he and Caleb came back, they said, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joshua would remember that he said that. He knew God is faithful to keep his promises. He would have been encouraged by this report because he would have remembered that God promised them the land and he trusted that God was faithful to go before them as they begin the conquest of this territory. So this was a great chapter that we studied today. In this chapter, we see God's providence, his grace, and his faithfulness. It's amazing to me how God and his providence orchestrates the events of the lives of his people to accomplish his purposes, his purposes for the nation of Israel and his purposes for the individual Rahab, and his even greater purpose of saving her life to have her descendants be the very line that the long-awaited Messiah would come through. God and his providence orchestrated these events to show his grace 
and faithfulness to their generation and to all generations, both Jew and Gentile. This is the same God we worship today, ladies. God, in his providence, is orchestrating events right now to accomplish his greater purposes and individual purposes in each of our lives. He's bigger than we can imagine. God works in ways we cannot see, but we can trust him to accomplish his purposes because his purposes can't be thwarted. So let's think about this. Right now, our world appears to be spinning out of control. But is it really? No, not really. God is working through all of the craziness that we see. He is. He's bigger, and his purposes are better. Even in the midst of all that is occurring, we should take comfort knowing that we know the end of the story. God has given it to us in his word. We don't need to be afraid of what may happen. We know God is working through it, and we know he is faithful. Here we have a story reminding us, while God has great purposes he's accomplishing within the whole world, he also uses individuals to accomplish those purposes. Ladies, if we are saved, God has a purpose for us. We have been created for good works, which he has prepared beforehand. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We need to be about the Lord's work without allowing our past sins to discourage us so much that we do nothing. God is bigger than our sin, and he can and he will use us to accomplish his good purposes. No matter our sin, his grace is bigger. He can use us as we are sinners. So we can't let Satan win the battle in our mind to keep us from making a difference for the Lord. We can't listen to the accusations that he hurls at us. I think you all know what I'm talking about. Thoughts like, you aren't good enough. How can you expect people to listen to you when you're such a sinner? You better not let anyone know about that sin because it's too awful. How can God ever use you after the things you've done? You might as well just give up, you wretched sinner. And I could go on and on. Ladies, there's a battle going on, and that battleground right now is in our minds. If we want to be effective for the Lord and be available for him to use, we need to remind ourselves that it's him doing the work through us. I remember one time when I was really battling with thoughts of my sinful past and the accusations were being hurled at me. I finally just stopped, and I agreed with the voice in my head. I said, you're right, it's true. I'm a sinner. I'm not good enough. Praise God that he is perfect and holy and he can use a wretched sinner like me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me from my sinful past and making me new. Thank you that despite my sin and my current sin, that you can use me. Forgive me for thinking so much of myself that I lose sight of you and your plan. Lord, please use me for your glory. So can I encourage you, ladies, as someone who battles with her sinful past, to press on. Look at the life of Rahab. I'm sorry. (sighs) 
Look at the life of Rahab in this chapter. We've been shown just two of her sins. She was a prostitute and a liar. She was a wretched sinner who was held up in scripture as a woman of great faith, who proved her faith by her actions and was used mildly for the Lord. I can imagine the accusations she may have heard, something like, what good can come out of a person with such a sinful past? Yet, ladies, we know from Matthew that Rahab is the great-great-grandmother of King David, and she's listed in the lineage of our Lord and Savior. God, in his providence, uses sinful people to accomplish his good and his glory. God's good, God's glory. Trust in our all-powerful, sovereign, ruler of all creation to use you to accomplish every good work that he has created for you. In an excerpt discussing seven great women of ill repute that we see in the Bible, John Bloom, who is a staff writer for DesiringGod.org, says, and I quote, In Christ, the old has passed away. Jesus takes away the old reputation. In Jesus, your past sin or the abuse and injustice you've suffered and the ways you viewed yourself and others have viewed you because of it is not who you are. In Jesus, your heavenly father says, you are my child. I have washed you and made you holy. You are clean and no one has authority to say otherwise. And you are my beloved. I have removed all your scarlet letters. God has thousands of reasons for everything he does. One great reason he founded this gracious sorority was to remind us of his lavish, unmerited grace to the undeserved and unlikely and despised. It's another way to tell us he loves to redeem sinners. He loves to produce something beautiful out of something horrible. He loves to make foreigners his children. He loves to reconcile his enemies. He loves to make all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Even for prostitutes, mistresses, and men like me. End of quote. So ladies... When the enemy is hurling insults and accusations at us in an attempt to make us feel inadequate, may we remember Romans 5.20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, and where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. The more we see and understand our sin for what it is, the greater God's grace becomes. We can be thankful for his grace that is bigger than our sin and his divine purposes working through us despite our sin. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your grace. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful story of Rahab and how you saved her and you used her to accomplish your good purposes. Lord, please continue to grow each and every one of us through your word and use us for your glory. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.